Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. Hello, welcome back. This is Sarah. And this is Katie. And we've been on this call for literally one minute. So Sarah, <laughs> how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm not going to lie. I just took a big bite of cupcake right as we started recording because I haven't. It's one of those days where I was like, fuck, I'm so hungry. Oh, that's why. I haven't eaten since like 11. I'm hungry. Oh. So, yeah, it, eat like, all the yeah. cupcake you want. We we yeah. support cupcakes on this show, you know? <laughs> and we are not Mike. We are not a licked cupcake. That is no. not what we are. We are eating cupcakes and <laughs> taking back. Cupcakes are like my favorite thing. I don't know if you know that about me, Katie. I am when it comes to desserts, which I know you're not a big dessert person. Mm-mm. But for me, like cake or cupcake is like what I will choose every time I didn't know that about you Mm. do they have cute little cupcake shops in London Mm, kind of I mean they're better I would say than when I first visited I just think in general outside of the U.S. it's just like okay let me get on my little tangent here for a second (laughs) the cakes aren't as moist and it's because in the recipes they use butter instead of oil, whereas like in the States, normally we would use oil in the cakes to make it like super light and fluffy and moist. Mm-hmm. And here it's still primarily like a lot of butter, which is nice. The flavor is good, but then it makes it quite dense. I'm going mm-hmm. on my, my cupcake, my cupcake and cake tangent. <laughs> so they're good, but then they also, it means that they're a bit more like dry and crumbly and I love a moist, oh. delicious. Like See, I cupcake. just, I would have never, never thought, especially with all of the great pastries and the great British baking show, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Think, I mean, but, they can make all the actual stuff that's legit good. I'm just right. very basic and my palate is very basic where I like cupcakes <laughs> and that's not like, I mean, they're getting better, but it was more that my husband's really cute. And yesterday he's like, I have a surprise for you. And he brought home because he knows I love cupcakes. And he saw a bakery that specialized in cupcakes on his way home from or on his lunch break. So he got Aww. me a cupcake. Yes, Greg. What a sweetie. <laughs> oh, love that. <laughs> I know. And I was like, you timed it perfectly because I'm on my period and I hate the world and I want to stuff my face with all the food. So there's Cup- that. Cupcakes and wine, girl. There you go. Get it. Right? <laughs> well, I have my iced coffee here and it is sweetened today, which I don't normally do, but I got this from my little local bagel shop, which has a chokehold on me. I've been going there every weekend. I get my bagel. And I decided to try their, can you hear the ice? <laughs> it's a very good caramel iced coffee. And it's quite sweet, which isn't normally my thing. But that's all to say we're both having our sweet treat today. And yes. we're here uh, on a weekend. On a weekend again. You know, that's just what we do these days. Got to keep we're it going. happen. Yeah. Um, Before we dive into the topic, I want to start with a correction from a listener who emailed us named Joe. And Joe said, this was the email, you guys are fun to listen to. I appreciate your ability to step back and point out many of the absurdities of Mormonism. Thank you. Quick note. (laughs) The world's population is going to peak and decline, though later than originally predicted, possibly by 2060. So that so in a a past episode, I was reading the you know, the multiply and replenish the earth article. (laughs) And it in that article, it stated that the earth's population would decline. And I think it said 2040. And you and I were like, no, I don't think so. But apparently it will peak and decline 
around 2060. And I just wanted to correct myself. And I just want to say, Joe, thank you. Like, that is the best kind of feedback when it's kind. And they, you know, you reach out and you let us know maybe when we've made um, an error, but you do it in such a kind and thoughtful way that I really appreciate that. And so I wanted to start off with that. And we love all of you that reach out and, and talk to us and are just so genuinely awesome. So Yes, off the top, wanted to start with that. <laughs> oh, thanks, Joe. I did see that email as well, and I thought, yeah. you know what? That's how it's done. That's yeah. I'm a so classy, <laughs> firm believer of like if you obviously we're we're human, right? We fuck up, obviously. we make mistakes, and I remember that episode, and especially me being like, that's bullshit. That's not <laughs> true. So, um, I appreciate people being like, you know what? Like, love your episode, love your podcast. You know. It's, just a small thing. Uh, actually, well, right. that is accurate. Blah blah. I'm not a fair point. Well, Touché. Honestly, Thank I, you. I love when I can be educated because I don't want to go around saying things that aren't true, right? I, I like to know when I've said something that's inaccurate. So thank you yeah. very much. Yeah. Appreciate it, um, Joe. Yeah. So today I'm going to be talking about a Mormon ghost town, Sarah. Oh, spooky. It's called Yosepa, and I really hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, It's it's spelled I-O-S-E-P-A, Yosepa. My sources come from Wikipedia, BYU Scholars Archive, Utah Education Network, Zeitgeist History on YouTube, and Oxford Academic. So there you go. I know. So Yosepa is a ghost town in the Skull Valley which is located approximately 75 miles southwest of Salt Lake City in Tooele County, Utah. And I didn't really know about this until just recently. Have you ever heard of it? No, I've never heard of that. Okay, so let's, how did it become a ghost town? Well, Mormon missionaries were sent to all of the Polynesian islands, including Hawaii, starting in the 1850s, because of course they were, you know, Let's colonize and (laughs) take away all their culture and make them Mormons, right? Um, And many of the Hawaiian converts wanted to immigrate or gather to Utah with the main body of the church because the temples were located there. Um, They didn't have any temples in Hawaii. And of course, if you're a, you know, Mormon, yeah. You um want you need to go to the temple. And so they were like, well, I guess we better move to Utah. Can you imagine leaving Hawaii for for a desert for Tooele no County? <laughs> I mean, how depressing would that be? I like know. how much of a shocker is like you leave the gorgeous Hawaii, like all the different islands, like this beautiful weather, culture, food, all of this amazing stuff. Oh. To go. No offense to you, Katie. You grew up in, in Utah, but then to oh. go oh. to Utah. I, no like, offense what? Megan, because Hawaii is stunning. The culture, everything, so gorgeous. And Utah is just, oh, God. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty in its own way with the mountains and stuff. But when you're talking about Tooele County, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it's just I don't even know where that is to be fair. Oh, it's sure. it's out there, girl. It's it's out there. And especially where this was located, it was in like just the desert, nothing. No no mountains. And I it just makes me sad because these people, these amazing Hawaiians, they were told by these Mormon missionaries that their way to salvation 
was to move to Utah so they could be near a temple to do these weird rituals in this temple. And so they left behind all of this amazing culture and environment uh, just for a religion at stake. It makes me upset. So um, um, in the 1870s, the Hawaiian government began to allow emigration because remember at this time, Hawaii wasn't even part of the United States. But by 1889, about 75 Native Hawaiians had gathered in the northern Salt Lake City neighborhood. The church encouraged Hawaiian members to immediately become U.S. citizens so that they could vote in elections because, you know, they want to vote in fellow Mormons. Oh, my God. Because the church always has to meddle in the government, right? Always. Always. Yeah. Despite... Despite their common faith, the immigrants experienced significant culture shock, as well as mistreatment by the white majority. Mm. I, I mean, mean surprise, shocker. Surprise. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was bad. The Polynesians were barred from staying in white-owned hotels and were refused service at restaurants in Salt Lake City. The white people believed Hawaiians were, quote, lazy, immoral, and diseased. And there were even news articles and news reports that said that Hawaiians participated in cannibalism. Oh, my God. What this, year is this again? This was 1889. Yeah. Oh uh, and this was perpetuated by non-Mormon white people as well. But most people who lived in the area at the time were Mormon. So, wow. <sighs> yeah, so... In 1889, a group of three Hawaiian converts and three returned missionaries uh, was assigned to choose a location for the Hawaiian members to settle because they weren't welcome, like, anywhere in the city. So they're like, well, we'll find a place for you that's that where, where you where you Hawaiian people can go. Ugh. So wow. they considered possibilities in Cash, Weber, and Utah counties, and they eventually selected a 1,920-acre site in Skull Valley known as the Quincy Ranch as a gathering place for the South Sea Islanders. The colony was organized as a joint stock company owned by the LDS Church. Yes, okay. that's right, of course. And at the first 46 settlers arrived at the new town site on August 28, 1889, and drew lots for land. And August 28 was later assigned as Hawaiian Pioneer Day. The town was oh, named... In Utah? <laughs> they yeah. did that? Apparently, yeah, because of oh course. The town was named Yosepa, which is the Hawaiian form of Joseph. It was chosen in uh, honor yeah. of... Joseph F. Smith, remember the F, because he was one of the first missionaries from the church to serve in Hawaii, and also in honor of his uncle, Joseph Smith, J-Dog. They named the fucking town after white men, and then just was Uh, like, okay, Hawaiian people, you go here, because we don't want you intermingling with the white community. But but pay us tight and vote for the Mormon leaders, right? It's Uh, fucked. Yeah. <clears throat> so the Yusefans' main reason for coming to Utah was to be near the Salt Lake Temple, obviously. After it opened yeah. in 1893, they traveled there as frequently as possible to participate in the religious ceremonies. Most of the colonists were from Hawaii, though others were from different parts of Polynesia. And Skull Valley is a desert, quite unlike <laughs> the islands they had left. Like we said, it's like <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> I mean, it's such a major culture shock and... 
an environment I mean, environment shock yeah. yeah like they're used to just amazing fruits and f- fresh fish and just this lovely humidity and then they're just like uh it's dry and desert and there's nothing <laughs> have fun um <laughs> and it's the cold weather too i mean i don't know right? how cold it gets in hawaii but i'm assuming no. it's not too cold it's, yeah yeah <laughs> So the Yusefans worked hard to improve their new home and the, and barely make a living. The people planted crops, they raised pigs, and even constructed ponds for raising carp and trout. They did their best to adapt or replace traditional food that wasn't native to Utah, substituting a mixture of flour and cornstarch for poi, and experimenting with growing mm. their own seaweed and other island products. Like, so... This is, I just wanted to say that this is the opposite of what all the white people were saying. Hawaiians are lazy. Like, look what they did out of almost nothing. They made this town and made amazing things out of just shit. (laughs) Yeah. The um, cattle and sheep were raised under the church-managed Yosepa Agricultural and Stock Company. So, of course, again, Uh. the church has to own everything. Um. Mm. They also built a small reservoir, which they named Kanaka Lake, where they could swim and have lakeside picnics. In 1899, residents converged on Yosepa for an Arbor Day celebration in which they planted 300 walnut trees, 300 fruit trees, and 100 ornamental trees. The town became known for its neat streets and yellow roses, and in 1911, even won the state prize for the best kept and most progressive city in the state of Utah. So these Hawaiians and these Polynesian people, they knew what they were doing. And I just think it's amazing that they, I mean, it's it's a testament to how great these people are. And it makes me feel a little bit better, but still mad at the church for taking them out of their amazing environment of Hawaii. (laughs) Exactly. Like it's, it's so fucked up that the church would encourage them or basically say your salvation depends on this. Yeah. Remove them from their homes. Like they're, amazing environment that they obviously grew up in yeah drop them off there but then look at what they did you know, I know. like and it, and they did it's a testament all... to how incredible they are right and they and of course they couldn't just live and even eat or work in the main city because everyone was so awful to them and it's just oh my god okay but eventually the harsh environment was very hard on the yosepin's health infectious disease took a heavy toll including deaths from pneumonia, smallpox, and diphtheria. In 1896, there were even three cases of leprosy. And a special house was built outside of town to isolate those that were infected. Sensationalized newspaper reports of the breakout alienated the Iosepa people even further from mainstream society. So it was this whole gross thing. I saw articles that were saying, you know, like, the brown people that live in Yusepa have leprosy, stay away from them because they're infected. And it just, it broke my heart. It's so horrible. Yeah. Alienated them even further. Um, Times became even harder after several crop failures, and many of the men sought work as miners in the nearby gold and silver mines. Yosepa continued to grow despite these challenges. The population increased from around just 80 people in 1901 to 228 people at its peak in 1915. Oh. In 1915, Joseph F. Smith, remember the F, then Joseph fucking Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Then president of the LDS Church announced plans for the construction of a temple in Hawaii. The first such temple to be built 
outside of North America. This temple basically was what ended the city of Iosepa because although Mormon leaders did not advise the Yosepans to emigrate to Hawaii, most of the residents chose to return to Hawaii because at this point they're like, okay, there's a lot of disease here. There's famine. Our crops are failing. It's cold. It's dry. If there's a temple in Hawaii, I want to go back, you know, <laughs> I want to go yeah, back. There. And I don't have to deal with the, the racism, the discrimination, yeah. like obviously Everything. you want to go back. Yeah. yeah. By January 1917, Yosepa was a ghost town, and the land was sold to the Deseret Livestock Company, which also, doesn't that sound like it's owned by the church? Yeah, Deseret? I was about to ask, is that not owned by the church? It, it, it has to be, right? Um, <laughs> little remains of the original town other than the cemetery and a single fire hydrant. In 1971, the Yosepa Cemetery was placed on the National Register of Historic Places. For many years, Yosepa has been known for the rows of evenly spaced fire hydrants poking through the sagebrush. In, in 1980, a Memorial Day activity was organized at Yosepa, where a few Utah Polynesian families, some descended from Yosepans, repaired the town's fence and beautified the graveyard area. This marked the beginning of an annual tradition that continues to grow. In the mid-1980s, the Yosepa Historical Association was incorporated to foster appreciation of Utah's Polynesian heritage and history. The association works to preserve the town site and organize the festival. And I've never been here, but apparently you can you can go and see it. And I guess around Memorial Day, they they have like a gathering to celebrate the people uh, that made this amazing city and the people who died there, which is pretty oh, cool. That's, that's incredible. I mean, oh. obviously not incredible that that happened to them and they had to I know. experience disease and everything else, but that's incredible that it's still there and you can go and see it. And the fact that they've kind of, you know, reclaimed the city as yeah. well or the town and make, you know, have these memorial um, celebrations is quite yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I wanted to cover this because I think it's important to recognize this part of Mormon culture because these islanders were colonized and yep. they perhaps might have been in a vulnerable situation. Like we've always talked about the people a lot of times who are converted to Mormonism are they're seeking for comfort and knowing, you know, what happens after you die or whatever it might be. And they were susceptible to this colonization and mm -hmm. then they were taken out of their environment but they still thrived and I want to say that there is a huge Polynesian culture in Utah today we don't talk about yep. it much but the Polynesian Hawaiian Islander culture is really big in Utah and Utah Mormonism I mean there's entire like congregations that are the Polynesian wards mm -hmm. and they bring they bring a really rich culture to to Mormonism and white Mormons should be thankful because yeah, a hundred, you know, percent. Yeah. yeah. And they even have the, um, uh, I forgot what they actually call it at BYU. I think it's like what Polynesian cultural center or something. Yes, uh -huh. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, oh. Because, you know, sorry, I think I cut you off. no, I just, I think that, um, it's overlooked a lot. And these, a lot of these people were, ripped away from their homes using fear mongering of like, you need to come into this white territory and be like the white people in order to have salvation and go to our white temples. And then they, but they've 
still flourished and they continued to bring a lot of really cool cultural stuff into Mormonism. And I remember growing up, there were Polynesian families in my ward and they would throw luau's and make amazing mm-hmm. food and, and really cool stuff that I didn't appreciate. And I, I, you know, as much as I wish, I'm like, oh, I just wish that like no one was Mormon. And I wish that this hadn't happened to Hawaii and the other islands. I wish that they would have just been left alone. But white Mormons should be thankful that they're even getting exposure to that because it's really amazing. (laughs) Oh, it's incredible. And like Katie said, so I, where I grew up, there was, um, a family. So, um, basically my young, I think she was young women president. She was Samoan, I believe. Uh Um, I but she taught us, I remember like having girls camp and we would have a luau and she would teach us, you know, the dance moves and she roasted a a whole pig. And it was like this whole cultural experience that from South Georgia, like you would never really get that anywhere else. And I just remember being like, Oh, this is really amazing. Incredible. And then when I moved to Utah meeting so many, just absolutely amazing, incredible um, Polynesian Islander families that, I mean, the food alone, like, my I God, know, right? It's amazing. so delicious, but <laughs> yeah. just the welcome, like, the love, like, I mean, right. like, every every family that I would go into their home, or if I was a friend of a friend, it was always just, like, come in, eat, so yeah. loving, so welcome, and I, I found that a very rich part of Utah culture that I agree, Kitty, yeah. is overlooked by quite a bit of the white people in Mormon mm-hmm. culture. Right. Um, and also just unfortunate at the time, you know, of course I was like deep in it with the Mormonism and probably allowed too many comments to go past me. But now when I think about it, there were a lot of like unfortunate, really just not nice comments that were or stereotypes that you right. would say. Right. Yeah. Um of and exactly that where you're saying like laziness and I just oh, think that's fucked up. And it's so and having up. the the separate wards i went to um because one of my roommates was polynesian and she invited me to her ward and again it was just it was amazing it was just a really yeah the love like the the welcome that you feel was just something that i had never had and the fact that just other not every again i feel like we always have to say this because we get people who will be like not I wasn't like that or I didn't experience that. We're not saying every Mormon, no. but I also came across a lot of like white Mormons who would make negative comments about oh, Polynesian yeah. Islanders and especially the wards and be like, why do they have their own ward? You know, why don't oh they want to like, <laughs> it's that same old thing of it's like just... with black lives matter. Why don't we have white lives? God, Like I can't. Yeah, I no. Can't. And you know what? I'm even going to call myself out. Even on our ex-Mormon podcast, we have not talked about this. And this is like our 240-something episode. Yeah. And and because we talk about a lot. We, we really cover a lot. Oh, Mormons are judgmental. Mormons are taught this and that. But we have not, you know, ourselves in- included, we have yeah. not talked about how great this other, this little, this facet of Mormonism is with the Polynesian culture they really are accepting, loving, welcoming. I've never met a judgmental <laughs> Polynesian no. person in my life. And no. um, so I want to call myself out and say that I should have addressed this sooner. And being a privileged white person, I just was looking at it from that lens. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I've left this out. And I, I've, 
you know, I didn't even know about this history of what the the early Polynesian Mormons went through. And it's incredible, really. And and yeah, I, I just think that again, it's important to mention and to remember and to notice because <laughs> it's really easy to just be like, all Mormons are dicks, but you know what? There are definitely exceptions. A hundred percent. Yep. And I'm glad that, I'm glad that you brought it up and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping we even cover more episodes on this topic because it definitely deserves a whole other, you know, I'm sure there's multiple layers within the history of Mormonism and the colonization of these islands and how mm-hmm. that impacted them and within Absolutely. the Mormon church today, like how it is. And and like Kay said, it was just one of those very white privileged things where I knew it was there in Utah. I just accepted it as as is without thinking about, hmm, no, let's think about how yeah. that how <laughs> yeah. that came about. And right, right. I, I love that it's there, but let's probably think about how it even came about and yeah. why there are so many Polynesian Islander yeah. Mormons. Like, and honor it and respect it and yeah. and think about, yeah, again, the why. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yep. all right. That is my, that's my episode for today. Kind of a short one, but I feel like it was a good one. And It um, was a great one. Thank you. I'm happy to share it. It's, a, it's kind of a a happier well happy-ish but you know besides the leprosy and shit but <laughs> besides you know the lighter. white mormons being assholes to people God. who aren't white as usual but yeah. loving their culture and taking it on themselves but exactly not acknowledging right. them <laughs> yeah. oh boy well <laughs> listeners thank you and we'll be back next week Bye-bye. We'll be back. bye bye